0: You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, and I'm along with my friend and co host Bart Kaler. And today we're honored to have Brad Enwistle. He's the founding partner at Image 7 on the podcast. Brad is currently marketing to the students and parents of who Higher Ed will be marketing to over the next couple of years, which is Generation Alpha. And we thought that Brad could give us a glimpse into what best practices are for marketing to these types of individuals.
2: Yeah, I think that it's really uh, interesting. I've known Brad for a long time. I've got, had a lot of respect for the work that they do. They they have a magazine called The School Marketer, and it's an Australian magazine. I mean, Brad works uh, and lives in Australia. And so a lot of what you're hearing is how it's working in Australia. But I think what's really interesting is that they're still marketing to that generation, the, the alphas and the millennial parents that... That's going to be the, the case for all of us as higher ed marketers here in the States in the next couple of years. And so I think it, he brings a lot of really good perspectives. I've always learned a lot from he and his team. They do outstanding work, both branding and, and marketing. And so having him on the show seemed like a really good idea. I don't want you to, he talks a lot about K-12, but I want you to think about him saying that so that you can get ready for what's going to happen in the next five, 10 years and the way that you're marketing to that same audience And remember, I mean, even though it's, if it's Australia, we had Mark McCrindle in one of the early episodes. He's the, he was, he coined the term Generation Alpha. He's from uh, Sydney, Australia. We had him on the podcast to talk about, you know, the traits of Generation Alpha and thinking about that as we get ready to start marketing to them. And keep in mind, Generation Alpha are sophomores right now. And so that's going to change considerably in the next couple of years, they might even already be on some of your lists. And so they have a whole different perspective on education. Their parents have a different perspective than you might be used to. And so Brad brings a lot of really good insights to that.
1: Yes, he does. And here's our conversation with Brad Entwistle. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Brad. And we begin all of our conversations with our guests by asking them to share something that they may have learned recently that our listeners would deem either fun or interesting. So here's your chance.
3: Well, fun and interesting for me, I'll just grabbed the book here, new book from uh, Michael McQueen called Mindstuck. And we always start crafting a brand story. And we've always looked for what's the common enemy? What's the thing that can unite this, this audience? And, uh, you know, in schools, as in the uh, K to 12 schools we're talking about usually you can look into the founder, the founding story. what was the main purpose of it getting set up. And Michael, in his book revealed to me that Pepsi people, of which i 'm one, Pepsi people, identify themselves not only as drinkers of Pepsi but as non-drinkers of coke. <laughs> and I, I thought that well well, it was really interesting and what if we could harness that sort of commitment in education marketing? That was a mic drop I'm, I'm right a Diet there.
2: Coke. I'm going to let it go. I'm oh. a Diet Coke drinker. But.
1: Bart, can we continue? <laughs> Bart, yeah, we ask the these questions not to debate, but to have our guests <laughs> share something that's fun or interesting. So,
2: fair enough. Don't, don't
1: turn it into a debate. And before you do, I'm going to let everyone know that we're speaking with Brad Entwistle. He's the founding partner at image 7 and you may have picked up by his accent that he is Australian so if you would before we get started with our topic let everyone know a little bit about the company and what you do and who you market to sure we're based in Australia most of our clients are in Australia and our clients
3: are K to 12 independent schools typically not exclusively but but typically but all inside education so some associations and a a tiny little bit of tertiary work there as well. Founded back in sort of the late 80s, so we've got a a few years under our belt, and we love what we do. And we're a team where I founded the firm in Perth, which is on the West Coast, but I'm speaking to you today from Sydney on the East Coast, where I've been for a decade now.
1: (laughs) I've heard those two cities compared to how our cities On the coast, New York on one side and L.A. on the other side. Would that be a good comparison?
3: Very good. And as I'm from Perth, I would just have to say Perth and L.A., that's the affinity.
1: <laughs> Very good, well, since you do market to k through twelve schools, we thought it would be good to bring you on to help us understand what type of messages are being conveyed successfully to generation alpha as our higher ed community has to start thinking about that so if you would maybe starting out with some of the strategies marketing strategies that you currently are using and how you've seen it evolve with Generation Z as we're starting to get to the end of marketing to them?
3: Yeah, you'll have to forgive me because it's Gen Z over here. (laughs) 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 And if I use any, any terms, which are particularly Australian, just pull me up. But Kyle Campbell used the same term from the UK. Absolutely. So I, totally I mean, understand. it's only you guys. What can I say?
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but digital dominance is the big thing for for us all, always. So you've got Gen Z, the, the first real generation to grow up entirely in that digital domain and just digital first. And while our listeners might be going, you know, but of course there is still a lot of education decision makers who, who are boomers and who are making decisions that our customer base is like me and they're not. And it's, it sounds really basic, but that's a big one to, to overcome. A couple of the other things that come to mind, some of the real defining things for us is that these parents are valuing experiences more than things. So the experience of attending a school, what is that going to be like? Whereas it wasn't that long ago that we could pretty much rely on substantiating the value of a to of a K-12 school through the output what was what were the grades going to be like what was the entrance to university going to be like but don't get me wrong that's still very big but the experience what is this going to be like for my child is really really valuable now
2: I think it's interesting of what you're bringing up, Brad, because I think that, you know, a lot of people are kind of like, okay, you know, why are we talking to somebody in, in K-12? It's, it's a different market. It's all this because you're not necessarily marketing to the student as if, you know, as as a lot of times traditional higher ed is as far as they are marketing to the, to the student. But I, I think that really what I, the reason why I wanted to have you come on the show was to talk about, okay, first of all, yes, Generation Alpha is different, and these are the things that they're different on, and this is what they're valuing. And a lot of times, what they value is what their parents end up valuing as well. So the experiences are going to be big, big a big part of it. We see a little bit of that now with Generation Z, where you know a lot of times when you know people are talking about the swag, I, I don't understand why the swag isn't working or why this isn't working well. It goes to that experience thing that I think that, that they are doing. And the other thing that I think is really important, and, and maybe we can kind of unpack this a little bit too, is the fact that you've got this idea and we'll get into a little bit more later too, but the idea of the parents, because a lot of people f- tend to forget that the parents of generation alpha are millennials and that's different too, because right now most of the Gen Z parents, including myself or Xers or boomers, or, or it's kind of that, a little bit of, so we're transitioning down into a whole different generation of not only students, but parents. And I think that's going to, I think that's going to play out and we'll get into that a little bit more, but tell me a little bit about some of the trends that you're seeing there and the way that you're doing your marketing. Marketing that maybe we can kind of borrow from or see what's coming. So, you talked a lot about digital first and experiences. How is that playing out in, in the way you're presenting the brands and the way you're doing the marketing?
3: It's difficult in the sense of K 12 schools typically, and I know there are many smaller institutions that in, listen to the podcast, but are smaller. Often, we're dealing with schools where the school marketer is actually the school head assisted by their front of office manager who does also does the school tours with prospective parents so that is small and it's not the primary job if you can imagine that at the small end through to teams of 5 and 6 in what we call a, a really big complex school so that's the context the but the the strategies that we we keep trying to apply is to stay ahead of technology and by that we're not saying being on the bleeding edge of technology just because something is new there is a new social channel i mean how many times have we all seen that that's a like. let's all jump on and four weeks later we all decide well it wasn't that hot anyway but to stay ahead of technology and to be if you like aligned with the thinking because that's where the parents are that that's where they they are natively even even if we're not the other things are short form content of any description it is it's short form. I can't remember the the last time that, in a prospective sense we we got a parent to to read fifteen hundred words. that's just that's really long form now, so now that's not to say, of course, that things like a a school that maybe produces a a book that reinforces their educational philosophy or something like that isn't valuable. it is because. Uh, the the closer of course they get to the bottom of the funnel the more inclined they are to dig deeper into the the who you are and why you do it and personalization technology for, of course is enabling personalization they can get it when they go to the local shopping mall and they buy a an a new shirt or something and that experience will be personalized for them uh, so why isn't that happening at the school where theoretically I'm part of a community and you know me even so much better? And so the, the demands for personalisation, um, uh, I think, are vastly undertapped in K to 12.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that would be the same for, for a higher ed as well. Cause I think that a lot of people are talking about, you know, what I did a presentation this week for a group of professional development. And it was like, you know, looking at CRMs that can help you do more personal personalization and, and how, how can you leverage that into your content so that it, it does feel more than just the name more about, you know, how can I, personalize the content that i'm delivering because i know a specific element of that person and so i think you bring up a really good point you talked a little bit i want to just kind of touch base before we move on to the next section you talked about the the long long form versus short form content talk about the types of content that's that you see being consumed the most from millennial parents is it more video is it more you know podcast what are you seeing in, in your schools
3: i think video is certainly you know the uh uh, to use the old billboard charts, you know, with a the, the the rocket with a star, is that what they used to say? but it's I, I think for so, something <laughs> like that, <laughs> it's right up there and and continuing to be. Uh, k twelves often have a problem with video content. Again, it's a resourcing type issue. you You don't have as many people, so you don't have as many people around who are uh, naturally inclined or in, in the production uh, of content. But the stories are thick on the ground. We we often talk about it, to pulling a line from you know Top Gun. But you know they are story rich environments. <laughs> yeah, and you know tertiary is as, as well, of course. But um, the the video is still underutilized and has got so much further to go. Top. As, as much as in a K to twelve environment, where you've got to be a lot more controlled about your message, It's student-generated uh, content is uh, somewhat dangerous. But there is a lot, a lot further we we can we can go there. And as those platforms become a bit more mature, um, we'll we'll get a lot better at it, I believe. But it's got a long way to go.
2: That's great. So when we talk about, you know, I'm going to go back for a second because you, you mentioned something about that, the idea of, you know, a lot of these parents want experiences for their students and, and the students are kind of, you know, you know, reacting to that as well. Help me understand a little bit. Are there any other needs or behaviors that, that you're seeing that maybe we need to understand going forward? I mean, decision-making. I, I know, you know, 10 years ago when millennial or 20 years ago now, when millennials were coming on the scene in higher education. A lot of it was, hey, there's these boomer moms that were all about the helicopter parents, and the and you know I even remember people talking about the blackhawk parents. It's like these ultra controlling moms that would you know would fill out the essays, that would do all the work, that would do everything, and and I mean that's backed off a little bit, although it seems to be coming back a little bit. What's been your experience as you engage with these different parents and and how that's evolved over the years?
3: Yep, I I, I think even perhaps to go a little bit more macro than that, if um. Once upon a time, we could fairly comfortably draw the graph and say, except for perhaps years 11 and 12, entry to a new school at years 11 and 12, the primary decision maker was the parent, without a shadow of a doubt. But there's been some interesting longitudinal work done by independent schools, Queensland, one of the the states here, which just every four years they've measured it. One of the things they've measured is the influence of the child on selection of school. And it is scary. It is, uh, for me, I, I mean, I find it really scary that the, a seven-year-old is being asked, we've visited three schools now, which one do you want to go to? Why?
1: <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> now, just because I'm struggling with the concept doesn't mean that it's not happening, and uh, I've got to uh, take into that into account. So, yeah, it seems almost wrong that we have to consider On a school tour what is the experience of the seven-year-old as they're tagging along with these adults who are doing the tour what is the experience of this little child because it's quite likely that they'll have a a a big influence at at the end of the day just a, a really quick number from the latest set of data when you took all responses so this is across age groups entering a school for totally or highly influenced by the child's opinion was 53%. Wow.
2: Yeah. That's pretty incredible. And I, and I think I, I want our listeners to kind of hear that out. Cause I mean, I, I don't want you as a listener to dismiss that to say, well, that's the way it is in our, in our situation too, as the students have the final say, you have to understand that up until this point, the students did not have that say, and college was the first time that they actually had a choice and so the way that they engaged with the college the way that they collected the information the way they you know consumed how they were going to research that was a certain way but now if you think about you know somebody who's getting ready to come into your a generation alpha student who's now a, a senior in high school and they're looking at your school, the fact that they've been making their life choices since seven um, they come with a different perspective and a different expectation on the way your admissions counselors are going to engage with them, the way they're going to be, the expectations they're going to have on the way that you serve them. Uh, So it it creates a whole different cultural dynamic that, and I'm sure that's what you're starting to see too as well. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And if you go to the other end of the continuum, we see increased influence from grandparents who are contributing financially. It's a different sort of a voice, but it is certainly a voice in, into the decision. So it's, if if you like what used to be a parent only decision, and if they were the, the middle of the bell curve, we just see that bell curve being made flatter and wider.
2: Okay. That's interesting. And I think that will apply to a lot of our schools, you know, in the next few years as this group of, of students and parents are, are coming through. So talking about those parents, I mean, so. You know, knowing that the students are having more of a say at a younger age, knowing that these parents need and kind of require short form content, what are their insights for for marketing to the to the parents of of the generation alpha? have you seen or that you could provide us? Yeah, I think one of the ones that
3: comes to mind straight away is just information overload. There is the challenge of capturing attention and trust, uh, which, obviously you have to have uh, you know it's uh, it's it's the beginning it's the top of the funnel but there is so much noise and it is so easy just to be adding to the noise and you just become part of the cacophony and it's uh, we're not adding we think we're adding by shoving more noise into the marketplace and we're not cutting through so that that that's a challenge expectations of of parents of any age but Primarily, the the younger generations. In in a way, it's we're doomed to to failure if we commit to ever increasing expectations, and expectations of just what is the experience going to be like. Oh, when I went to school, I went on a one week camp. I would expect now that my students go to a, a a two week camp or a month long camp. You just can't keep driving that climbing that set of stairs because it will become, and particularly when you contrast it to the other side, which are what are the fees, that is another big problem for independent schools and, from what I understand, similar sort of equation happening in in the US, where if if you just draw the line, it it will become unaffordable for, for most within a decade or two. So they're managing those expectations or trading parents what to have good expectations about. Now, I, I think that's more, more the key, entering into real, genuine, deep conversations with parents. And on, on perhaps a little bit of a negative side, one of the things we see is that schools, and particularly in the junior years, are becoming the they are the community. Once upon a time, you could bargain on church community groups. In Australia, it's always been a bit more biased towards the, the sporting clubs as, as the community. But those, those communities are, are breaking down. Relationships are a lot more transient and school is becoming the constant. In some ways, many schools who are looking forward and, and looking deeply into this, they feel as though they've got to engage in parent education about parenting skills.
2: That's really interesting. And I think that that I've heard that here in the U S as well. And I think that that's going to be one of the challenges as they get to the point. And especially, I think what you talked about is starting to look at that affordability and understanding the fees, understanding everything else, and then weighing into that. I know that the very beginning, you talked a little bit about the branding and I'm just going to ask you a question because if more parents of Generation Alpha are looking at things and they want it shorter. They they they're looking for these things. Talk about one week versus two week. If we're presenting our content from a transactional or feature basis as opposed to a benefit basis, it seems like we're not going to be as successful. Is that what you're finding? Absolutely, uh, absolutely.
3: It's we we've got a uh, a simple. In fact, I don't even know where I picked it up, but it's certainly not original with me. Uh, a, a simple little framework that we work in is it. Uh, uh, resonate differentiate substantiate and it's it's just a a really big lens that you can look at any messaging set and going actually is it going to resonate with our audience first in other words will they pay attention and if they do pay attention is it going to say oh yeah there's something in that for me differentiate we've got to stand out we've got to be different it's the same equation for you guys in tertiary substantiation is often where k-12 to falls away it's a little bit easier, I think, for uh, you guys in the, in the higher ed market because su- substantiation immediately falls out in things like graduation rates and such like really easily me- measured metrics. But I believe for both of us, for K-12 and higher ed, moving that substantiation piece much closer to uh, telling deep stories that are authentic do also resonate, but the substantiation is in the story, not in the statistic.
2: Yeah, I think that's such a really good point because I think a lot of times that gets missed because, again, you go back to the very first thing that you said is that this doesn't resonate with me. Maybe, maybe I'm an Xer or a Boomer that's making decisions and saying, well, of course we need the facts. Why would we not need the facts? But we have to remember that it's not necessarily the same way for the end user, the millennial parent or the the generation alpha. That's great. Brad, uh, if you can explain to us how,
1: in your opinion, the rise of technology and social media has reshaped the way millennial parents engage with educational institutions. Well, (laughs) in so many ways, they're instant.
3: Just the cadence of everything has sped up. Something happens at school, and if the parent hasn't seen it on Instagram by the time they join the pickup queue what we lovingly refer to as the car park mafia um uh, but you know those those parents who are just standing around waiting that's where the gossip happens and if something happened a a good thing somebody came to speak at the school assembly or an award was given out if that's not actually been on instagram before the parents arrive then that's oh why did that happen oh look there's you know we we never know what's going on here, um, <laughs> now, and that's that's yeah it's 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 real. And on on one hand, you can combat it, and you can say that's great. Let's increase our cadence of feeding the content beast. But again, that's not sustainable. We we are more and more getting to that place where we're not we can't respond anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many schools who can actually lift their game, but when you're at the top of the game without increasing fees inordinately and unrealistically you can't resource that sort of responsiveness so again it's about teaching parents the other thing i think is about information gathering and parent decision making it it it's totally change the equation. We jokingly sometimes just refer to BG and AG before Google and after Google. You know, that that moment in time where time was split. And actually the decision-making mode of parents totally flipped so that they, by the time they identify themselves to the school as a prospective parent, they knew more about the school, what it stood for and what its track record was, than perhaps the school actually knew about them as a prospective parent. So that flipped. Has then been put on steroids with social media because it again, we're coming back to that to the cadence of everything, everything moves faster, but parents can seek opinions from their peers so much, so much quicker and so much easier. And, uh, you know, that's a double edged sword because we're often managing opinions that we don't even know exist and people who haven't had an experience at all prepared to offer an opinion.
2: Yeah. 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 It it ends up putting the marketing team on a react reactionary basis instead of being proactive. And I think that's always a very difficult place to be. It's interesting to me, you know, because you mentioned a couple of things there that just the idea of, of, the expectations. It goes back to what you said earlier about the, the expectations of, of millennial parents and the fact that, hey, I'm showing up at the car park and I'm, you know, picking up my child. I have expected that I'm going to be able to review everything on Instagram that happened throughout the day by the time I get there. And if I don't, somehow you haven't served me. And so I, I think that's an interesting perspective that that we have to understand. And And then your whole idea about you know the, the the expectations of, you know the research that people can do before they even end up in the viewfinder of a school. Here in the states, we call that stealth applications a lot of times for apps for for schools, and and that frustrates you know, enrollment leaders and and admissions counselors, because it's like, that's not the way it's supposed to work. And we can talk about that and get frustrated with it. And we can, we can wail about it. But at the end of the day, that's the way it's working now. It's that AG, the after Google effect. And we have to figure out ways that we can be okay with that, be comfortable with that, and then figure out better ways to you know, a lot of people don't like the word sell, but better ways to sell into that. How can we better present ourselves and differentiate and substantiate and and to resonate with those people? I got it in the wrong order, but I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. But the fact that we can do that and lean into that as opposed to just complain about it, I think is a really good point. So how do you, I mean, as you kind of start looking at all these different things, I mean, you you kind of gave us a little bit of tips, but just like any last tips that we need to think about as far as adjusting those marketing strategies, especially the social media, especially the, the way that we present this content how do you kind of adjust those strategies with this with millennial values especially we talked a little bit about their expectations but there's some values that underscore all of that as well
3: yeah there's well, one of the things uh, i think particularly for k to 12 because of those resource limitations while the what the expectations of the the parents might be uh, be on every social channel you should be on twitter x facebook insta tiktok and the list goes on you don't have the resources, so just to be really clear, choose where you 're going to be and do it well that it's it's really simple it's, it's i wouldn't even call that a digital strategy <laughs> it's just a <laughs> just plain old good choose the two and for all of our studies we've in the past studies which well actually global studies of the use of social media in in K-12s in Australia, US, UK, and Facebook and Insta are still far and away. You know, there's a big drop off after that. So if you've got limited resources, choose that's where you're going to be. And the, the answer is when you get a grumbly parent that just says, oh, you're not on TikTok, I use TikTok. And you say, well, that that's great, but you'll appreciate. We want to put our resources into the classrooms, into the students, and we just can't devote that resource. It's But what we find, this is, I'm going a little bit off the technology here, but we often find when consulting with K-12 schools that that scenario that I've just given you causes them great angst because it's happening all the time. And we say, almost, like pull out the notepad, let's scribble a little note. And so I just wrote a policy and the policy says we're going to use Facebook and Insta. And now you have a policy and you can refer to that policy. And a policy is just a decision made in advance. And then they can, they've got the line that just says, sorry, it's not our policy because we're, we've got limited resources and we're going to use them well. And the, the weight lifts off their shoulders. But you see what I mean? It's not really a, a technological solution. No, uh,
2: it's not. But I think it's though no, that I think a lot of times we as higher ed marketers, we get stuck in this conundrum of, well, what are we supposed to do? And, and we fret and we worry. Sometimes it's as easy as making a decision. Yeah. And, I, and I love that. I love yeah. that.
1: The policy is just a decision made in advance. I like to change the subject into fostering courageous leadership, especially with all the changes that our higher ed leaders are facing. And I would also like to say some of these leaders or most of these leaders are uh, boomers and Gen Xers. So Brad would like to know, know, how can, in your opinion, education leaders turn the challenge of the upcoming enrollment cliff, also all the changes that are coming in the AI sphere into an opportunity for innovation and growth for their institutions?
3: Yeah, with the enrollment cliff, that's not something we're experiencing in K-12 in Australia, anywhere near the level of what I understand it's happening in higher ed in the U S. Um, but uh, there, there is a quote that well, years ago, when I first heard it, heard it, it was, I've written it down here so I can get it right. General Eric Shinseki. There you go. He, he was your uh, <laughs> chief of staff of the army at one stage, okay. but he said, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance, even less. Uh, Now, to me, that applies as much to us and our work in K-12 schools in Australia as it does to high red in the US. So for me, that's a primary motivating factor, if you like. How do we do what we do? Just because there's going to be less prospective students in in the pipeline, available in the universe for you to enrol at your institution, doesn't mean that you have to have fewer students. It might mean that you have to increase market share. But it doesn't mean that you have to have less students. Indeed, it could be that it's a good thing to have less students, but not to get panicked about the enrolment cliff. But the simple fact does end up as if you don't adjust, try new approaches, test things. Sorry, I forgot who it was. One of your guests recently mentioned they went and renamed a course and that had great benefit. That's a perfect example to me of actually just being prepared to change Prepared to pivot, not do things the way we've always done. Being nimble in the offering, and if we're nimble in the offering and embrace change, then we've got a, a good chance of actually serving our institutions well by preparing them for the for the enrollment cliff. So face what's happening. We know it's happening. We're talking about it. Uh, you know, we've all been reading about it for years now. Uh, it's real. It's happening. So no excuse for continuing to do the same things the way they've always done them and expecting a different result. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox yeah. now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Cause I'm usually the one on the soapbox <laughs> on this type of thing as well. And I think that you bring up some really good points there. I mean, I think it was Shane Baglini, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that episode, who talked about renaming the courses. But I think it's that idea of looking at what you can do. I mean, I think so many times we're we're, as humans, we're used to just kind of throwing up our hands and and saying, oh, woe is me. I I can't do anything about this. And we end up digging ourselves a bigger hole than filling it. And I think it goes back to the basics of marketing. It goes back to the, the four Ps, and we talk about that a lot in our marketing. But it comes down to those basics and making decisions, going back to what you said about the policy. On Post-it, making decisions, being willing to make the decisions, and being willing to deal with what the decision has, and I think that's what I'm most fearful in the next few years is that the amount of change that's happening is going to slow people down from making decisions, and it's going to it's going to take away a lot of their confidence. And I think that's where if we can kind of gird ourselves up for that. I think we're going to be uh, in a better place. I heard somebody recently talk about, you know, if if you aren't willing, and it goes back to your your quote of the army general, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, or whatever, if you're not willing to make these decisions, you're either going to merge or purge. That's going to happen. You're either going to, you know, unfortunately, your school is going to close or it's going to be merged into somebody else. And it's at that level of alarm that I think that we've got to be willing to make these decisions. And that enrollment cliff is just one of those things. But even as you look at the the impact on on higher ed and, and all education with AI, I mean, what are you seeing and, and kind of what's happening there in Australia with the use of AI? Here in the states, a lot of people are either leaning well into it or they're getting panicked. And again, it's it's another change element that's happening. So, you know, what what are you what are you sensing mm-hmm.
3: there? For once, we can probably say that Australia is experiencing AI at the same, at the same rate <laughs> as everybody else because we, we've got a, a rule of thumb, and this is one of the reasons I enjoy our relationship. But is because I can look to you, I can see what the high red market is doing in the, the US. And I know in my usual rule of thumb is about five to seven years, a lot of those same principles are going to flow through to the uh, more well-resourced independent schools in the K-12 space. Now, over time, that, that gap has been getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I'm happy to say that with AI, we're all experiencing it together so the having said that, my sense is that school marketers, as in k to twelve school marketers, are going to be slower on the uptake than what higher ed will be again, mostly just because of resources uh, it's when you're in a small team and you're doing the day to day it's you, you've got to keep the day to day happening. We often for and this is one of the places where I think higher ed does change from k to twelve in School marketing officer, the generic term we give to a a school marketer, typically it's an 80 20 type role split. Only 20% is actually marketing for enrollment inquiries. 80% is actually doing the comms, the internal comms that are required to keep the school running and in good order. And if you can't do that, I've classed that as very important because if you don't do that, then your retention. Falls off, of so that that's a really important piece. So, yeah, I, I there there is great territory there for school marketers to explore with AI about just doing the day to days. It's but I, I I don't see that being uh, embraced just yet. I think everybody tends to be uh, certainly from a um, school leadership position um, just waiting a bit. Let's, and and they're a little bit more concerned about how we integrating the idea of AI into the uh, education the school curriculum. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, and that's I think that's pretty pretty common across the board. I am really trying to. I mean, a lot of people would call me an AI evangelist, and and maybe maybe well, I would so, I would maybe. go further than that the expert. but, but I, I think that one of the things, and and I've often told people I'm like saving 10 to 15 hours a week. And a friend of mine, Dan Sanchez recently corrected me and he said, actually, I wouldn't say you're saving 10 to 15 hours a week. You're actually adding 10 to 15 hours a week. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's the fact that in 40 hours i can do 55 or 60 hours worth of work and so i've been really trying to lean into a lot of my smaller clients kind of like what you've talked about the one and a half marketing people that's in the school and letting them know to say hey if we can kind of lean into ai if we can if i can teach you some basics on how it can actually you know, amplify the work that you're already doing, that's going to give you a leg up for being able to, you know, get more market share, to be able to compete a little differently as if you had five or six people in your marketing team. And so it is a lot of change at once, but I do think that those people that are able to embrace it and to learn it and and understand it are going to be in a better place as these headwinds are coming on. And I guess as as we kind of close things up, I'm just curious about as these headwinds and, and all the challenges are coming, and whether it's the enrollment cliff, AI, the perceived price of fees and tuition, I mean, the perception of what education value really is because of the fractured, you know, elements of our social media world. What do you think is going to be that, you know, that that resilience that school leaders need to have or marketers need to have that's going to help them, you know, weather that educational storm? What, what's that deep rudder that you kind of are seeing?
3: Yeah, I Well, I speak to it from a a personal perspective and from uh, many of our clients come from faith-based schools. Uh, Just the the structure of uh, independent education in Australia is the majority of independent schools had a basis in one one of the uh, denominations. And for me, it's that deep rudder, having clear direction, but the ability to adapt with that and the resilience that I think you're, you're. you're talking about there for, for me they they have this common element in my faith it becomes that's the that's the anchor or the the deep rudder the the, the solid foundation and, and without trying to get too you know cutesy about it but that's the point where you can always point back to i mean people talk about the true north but that's the point where you can go back to so you know it serves as a an ethical and a, and a moral compass for, for me and particularly in, a, in an Australian context doesn't mean it's not about forcing beliefs on others. It's, uh, but hopefully my team at Image7, our clients, suppliers and all, all the people we interact with, they get to see a, a slice of that. It, they, they can see, yes, there's the callback for Brad, which has then been embedded in Image7 and that's the way we do things. Again, not, not all the team at Image7 share my faith, but we work in the same way. So there's all those callbacks there. So I'd be suggesting the school leaders, particularly in the marketing space, again, Simon Senek, find out what's your why. Actually identify it and then know what it means. Work out what the parameters of that are. What does it mean that you will do, but most importantly, what does it mean that you won't do?
2: Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the vulnerability. I, You and I share the same why. And I think a lot of the listeners to the podcast know that about me. And, and I'm pretty open about that. But I think that it, you're right. I think that as marketers, as school leaders, we've got to identify what that why is for our school and be able to articulate it well for that resonance, for the differentiation and for the, you know, for the substantiation of everything we're doing. So really, really appreciate you sharing that, Brad. And it's, it means a lot to me. Thank you. Brad, is
1: there a final thought or idea that you can offer that once heard by a listener could be quickly implemented at their institution? I,
3: I think where we are uh, at the end of calendar year 2023, which for, for us uh, on the, in another hemisphere is actually the end of the, the school year uh, as well, is get on top of AI. It's, uh, there, there is going to be no other trend in the immediate future. That tops what AI's impact will be, and if you haven't dipped your toe in, haven't understood how it works, then it's really easy. Just download and start playing. In fact, you don't even have to download. Just browse to the, (laughs) open up a free account. And I know, Bart, I'm I'm sort of you know preaching preaching your gospel here, but it's big, and it it's it's big and it's going to happen in this compressed time frame and uh, a podcast that i was listening to a while back just said just remember this is the dumbest ai is ever going to be and i thought that is is profound and if we're not across it then we've got no hope of making good decisions about it so we need to learn about it even if you don't like using it in your in your day-to-day i think you will i think you'll find all sorts of wonderful ways just to use it for personal productivity but to actually just do some learn just by experimenting and listen listen to some of bart's good words on how to to start interacting with it
1: i agree with that last statement he's leading a lot of us into this path of embracing ai i know i'm a better marketer because of it. So thank you, Bart. If I can just offer one other thought is that for all of our talk,
3: the labels, Gen Z, Gen Y, millennials is really, really useful. Use it as a tool. Don't actually get bound up by it because all of this is happening in in waves and the waves are overlapping just because there is a few bullet points that says short form is better for this audience. That, that's
1: true, but you've still got a mix of others in there as well. So treat it as a guide. Thank you, Brad. And I definitely agree. We've been listening and speaking with Brad Entwistle of Image7. He's been marketing on behalf of educators to students and their parents for a number of years. If you would, Brad, please share your contact information for those who would like to contact you after listening to this episode. Sure. The easiest way is the website,
3: which is image7.com.au. Got to
1: remember the .au. It it makes all the difference in finding us. Thank you, Brad. Bart, what are your final
2: thoughts? Well, first of all, I, I just want to tell Brad, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been long and coming. Brad and I met on LinkedIn maybe 10 years ago. And I think a lot of people who know me know that I'm all about relationships you know, Brad and I have never met face-to-face <laughs> and we've had phone calls usually at the early part of the U.S. hours or the late part of the U.S. hours to try to coordinate, you know, right now as we're talking to to Brad, it's, uh, you know, it's it's 6 p.m. Eastern time and he's just getting his day started in, in Australia a day later than we are. So it's always been fun to kind of uh, get to know Brad and I've always had a great deal of respect for what he's doing in marketing space and, uh and I've had a chance to be on the podcast at of, of Image Semif- And so they've got some great resources. So I would really encourage you to go take a listen to their podcast. They've always inspired me in the way they've done their podcast. And so it's been just a real treat for me to have Brad on the podcast today. And so grateful for your friendship and looking forward to staying in touch.
1: Likewise, thank
2: you. Thanks, Thanks. Troy. The Higher Ed Marketer Podcast is sponsored by
1: Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency. And by Ring Digital, providing direct mail for digital by accurately serving ads directly to the handheld and household devices of your inquiries on your direct mail list within your enrollment funnel. Grateful to our wonderful producer, Rob Conlin and his team at Westport Studios. My name is Troy Singer. On behalf of my co-host, Bart Kaler, we thank you for joining us.
0: You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our contact us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.